Once forged in the fires of PR and journalism, Curtis Dewar and Corey Westbrook united to create C-Squared. Then I jumped on the bandwagon. I'm your host, Aaliyah, and this is Heavy Business, a podcast where we talk to music industry professionals and musicians and learn together about the music industry, marketing, and other tools that can help you promote the music you put so much effort into creating. Hello and welcome. This is Heavy Business. I'm Aliyah. And I'm Curtis. And we're here today with Dave Niebord of Dog Eat Dog. Hey guys, hello. So Dave, for the very first first thing, uh, can you kind of go over uh, your background, your origin story, kind of like a nutshell version of who you are and what you do? Uh, well, I grew up loving music and started playing in bands when I was about 12 years old, playing bass. Uh, so I got going relatively early. I wasn't like taking lessons. I just met uh, my neighbors, the Merkel brothers, and they uh, were guitar and drums and they got me to play bass and, and start a band with them. So we started jamming and then I started playing in my like school. And then we found this club uh, in our local town that we, that, 15-year-old kids could actually play, and uh, we were playing cover songs there, and I got seen by another band called Mucky Pup there, and they called me and asked me to be in Mucky Pup. This is about 1988, and I started touring Europe with them and making records, so right out of high school, right on tour, and kind of right in the, the rock and roll fantasy world already, even though it was just the beginning, um, and then... Uh, Around 1990, I left uh, Mucky Pup and formed Doggy Dog, and uh, that band's been going strong now for, I guess it's now 33 years. That is crazy. It's been that long. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay, so first, before we get into our regular questions about business and that type of thing, uh, can you kind of go over what uh, go over your new album, kind of go over a little bit of the details of it and when it's being released? So our new record is called Free Radicals, and it's a full-length 14-song LP, uh, and it comes out October 20th, so only a few days away. And uh, this record, we had uh, started writing the songs for it uh, in 2018, so we were writing then expecting to start uh recording it which we did in 2019 and then we thought okay we're gonna resume recording and then uh the pandemic hit and we were recording it in switzerland so we weren't able to get back to the studio and it kind of shut the entire process down for close to two years almost so then we once we were able to get back to switzerland and start working and and finishing the album you know it took another two years uh back and forth so it was it was a lot of work uh but we finally finished it finally mixed it mastered it and then you know the real reward is in three days when it actually hits the streets and so to speak and hits uh streaming and it's just a good feeling to, like share your your new baby with everybody when you've been working on it for so long and and kind of keeping it under wraps but we released four singles and four little videos we did to kind of prep people on what our new sound uh for the band new direction is 
I have a quick question before we go into the business questions here. Um, you guys did four singles, you said, which that's probably the most you've done to date for an album. Is that correct? Absolutely. I mean, back in the 90s when we were you know, putting out records, they were spending like $100,000 on videos shot on 35 millimeter film back then for us, you know, so we would usually do two, maybe three at most. And now they want four before the album even comes out. It was it wasn't like that. It was like, you know, as the album was being sold, you would make another video to keep the momentum going. You know, now they want everything in advance. It's months in advance. So as older guys, we're learning how like the new way of promoting a record is because uh, this is our first full length LP in 17 years. So it's kind of like starting over again for us. Did you guys have any resistance to doing more singles or were you just like, we'll do whatever you tell us? Well, it was kind of like that. Like the label has a plan the way they want to promote it and they want to stick to their plan. And so doing four singles was was part of their business promotion plan. And we just said, OK. And, you know, they said, well, you could just do lyric videos or whatever. You know, there's really no budget for them. But we felt like we worked so hard on these songs like we'll spend our own money and our, our time. Let's make videos. Let's not make uh, lyric videos. So, you know, you can see what we were able to pull together and we had to make a video every three weeks. So it was a lot of pressure, to be honest, uh, you know, something we're not used to before. It was the record label doing everything and coordinating everything. This is when we were on Roadrunner and we would just show up and we were just the actors in a video. And then all we had to do was approve the final cut. You know, it was pretty easy making videos. Now, when you're actually producing them and directing them, you know, and and working with an editor, you know, it, it you realize it, it's it's a lot of work. Makes sense. Um, that's probably a good transition into our first question about business. Um, so you guys, in the beginning, I believe you signed with Roadrunner first, if I'm not mistaken, or Road Racer, I can't remember what, what, what was actually called back then. Um, so what did you feel were some of the positives and some of the drawbacks with signing with a, a label like that when you first started? For us, uh, we signed with Roadrunner in 93 and released uh, an EP. And, you know, wasn't necessarily the greatest uh, recording or anything, but, you know, it was a start for us. We put it out and we toured Europe once. And basically that was the extent of the promotion from Roadrunner. So we, we weren't, we didn't really have, a, you know, a huge start, but they were definitely doing press for us. I and mean, we could see the, the press and, and uh, you know, we were, we, at that point, we were just happy to be a band with a record. And our first tour of Europe in 93 was opening for Bad Brains. So it was like, our, you know, what, probably our favorite band. And, you know, we were just feeling great about that. On the next record, the Albro Kings record, um that that was uh released and then uh pushed and pushed and pushed for almost a year and a half culminating in a top 10 single in the UK and we won the MTV award in 95 for breakthrough artist so uh roadrunner proved that they could push a band uh, into places that they never had bands before. So Doggy Dog gave Roadrunner avenues of like a more pop 
kind of road where they had been dealing with mostly metal bands up to that point. And we were a band that was getting massive MTV play and we were able to play things like Top of the Pops and, you know, just going places no band on Roadrunner had gone before and, and selling a lot of records. So, you know, Roadrunner main issue for us was that even though they were a really good label, they were not able to put that kind of money and energy and promotion on two continents. So that's why nobody in the U.S. basically knows who we are, because the, the U.S. office was really just like an outpost at that time for the for the Europe office, which was the one with a lot of money. It, we're talking about 94, 95 here. It was a little different uh, for the U.S. And, you know, we tried touring in the U.S. We tried to promote and do whatever we could, but we just we couldn't rise above you know, an opening band or, you know, a local band status in the U.S. So we just kind of gave up and we just stayed uh, in Europe, basically, so to speak. And we didn't live there, but we only played there for, for years and, and put all our money and promotion into Europe. And that that in, in by our third record, Amped, which came out in 99, Roadrunner was now bought out uh, by Warner Brothers. And we got lost in the shuffle of that whole thing. And that was where we ended our relationship with Roadrunner. It just was, there was nobody left at Roadrunner that even knew who we were anymore. Like all the people who had worked with us had all gone away and moved on to other jobs. So we, we just knew that this was the, this was our end because, you know, what we've learned in our career, working with management, booking agents, and labels is that they all start out very excited and hot for you and they put a lot of money and a lot of effort and make you feel great and then slowly the interest wanes or the the you know the the stamina of of work you know slows down and then the band is like hey come on we need help we need help and we're you see less and less of that and by the end of you know our time with roadrunner it was there was all the gas was just out of the tank we had no choice but to move on makes sense do you think it might have been better for you guys to sign with the label with more of an american push or are you happy with what how things turned out i mean we can look back in hindsight and uh, it's something we always wished we could have success in our own country and we tried i mean we toured the whole u.s multiple times with different bands we played with uh with clutch we played with Madball and Downset. We played with No Doubt and 311. We played with Ugly Kid Joe. I mean, these were all different tours we did. And it just, every time we finished a tour, there was there was no movement. There was no interest. There was no more radio play or record sales, nothing. So it just, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it would have been nice to have a label that was big in the US and maybe we could have gotten on, you know, more OzFest or, or uh, you know other kinds of big festivals in the u.s and gotten seen by people like um you know but it didn't happen so you know thinking of like warp tour and things like that like we just didn't get any exposure but in europe we always said hey we'll take it wherever it get we can get it and europe has been incredible for us the audiences have been great and there's just been constant uh you know source of of fan base and income the phone just rings every year so we have never the only year we didn't tour europe was 2020 with the pandemic otherwise we've consistently gone over to europe and even with no record we're still playing 40 to 50 shows a year in europe 
I know it's insane. I always see that. And I'm like, wow, that's that's fucking crazy that you guys have that much success over there. Um, so now kind of the next question involves touring. So can you kind of go over some tips that you might have for newer musicians on uh, what to be prepared for in regards to touring? So we now, including the Mucky Pub, I mean, I'm I'm over 35 years touring Europe. So I feel pretty, you know, knowledgeable about how things were and seeing what they've become and how they are. And the, the main thing is the cost of touring has become super expensive. And there are, are so many bands that at this point can't even afford to tour. I mean, just buying the plane tickets and then, you know, your backline and your transportation and everything just adds up and adds up and it becomes very difficult to make any money at the end of ever run so like what doggy dog has done is you know you have to as a band cut corners as much as you can if you want to make money if you start just spending money on everything uh you know you may not make anything so i i hate to see musicians pay to play so to speak you know but you know when you go to tour europe especially you know you're you're already in the hole when you land and now you've got to have like decent booking agents with you know who are able to get you clubs that actually pay properly and you know merchandising is really you know i always tell everyone like if you really want to help the band buy a t-shirt because that's money that's going to go directly to the band and, you know, buying records these days, streaming, you know, you were really not putting money in the band's pocket. And that's, you know, as a, as a younger band, you know, it, just watch your, your budget. That, that's my, my big thing because it, we have gotten burned, especially lately with just the, how much gas costs to drive across Europe. We just drove across France from one side to the other four times uh in one in in two weeks uh and it, it burned up a thousand dollars in gas i mean it was insane it was crazy so, wow yeah so your how you book your tour and where one show is logistically to another all that has to be factored it's like now you have to look at tours with a microscope back then it was like hey you know everything's cheap and you can make money and and great and now it's uh it's it's a little bit of a different world now and that that's what we see the most fair enough uh alia did you have something before i go to the next one um kind of well you mentioned how for this this album you guys actually orchestrated and organized all your own music videos and that's something that's kind of the opposite situation they're not as expensive now as they used to be to make but how do you feel do you feel like having that responsibility placed on you as a band was that a po positive experience or do you feel like it detracted from the experience what is your take on all of that situation i'm used to the old way where okay the you know someone else handles all that and i guess i like that better because we're trying to concentrate on playing music and and you know when it comes to promotion we're always there to promote and we always have been we've been a you know a band that's that's never stopped uh promoting and and trying to you know doing it ourselves but when it came to these videos we were given the opportunity to 
do nothing, make a lyric video. You don't have to do anything, but we have our standards and we want, you know, we, we don't want to like settle for the lowest uh, denominator just to get through. So when that kind of was put in our lab, we had a discussion, we had a band meeting and, you know, we decided with the first video, like within 48 hours of filming it, we came up with the idea and said, you know, they said, Dave, you're going to direct it. And we've got a location and we made some calls and uh, our tour manager, you know, was involved with the German pro wrestling scene. And he's like, I got you a location where the, the wrestlers train and I got some pro wrestlers and we got some tattooed girls. We can make a video. And like, we didn't even know if we could really do this. We got a cameraman. OK, it looks like it's coming together. And like when I woke up that morning, I still didn't know if we were going to really make a video. But then we got on set and everything came together and it was a six hour shoot. And I'm running around sweating my ass off. And hey, we have a video. And when we look back on it and we were like, the, we could have had a lyric video, but look, we have a video with, that we made. We put our sweat into it. We put our our, our time and, and effort into it. And I, I look at it and I'm super proud of it. So even though things are a lot of work, I I think when the band puts their, you know, their hearts into it, it it's going to be better than something that's just a slapdash throw together job. So once we did the first one, it got easier as we went along and we, we kind of got the rhythm of it. And by the fourth one, we actually had given it to the editor like two weeks in advance instead of like three days in advance, which the other ones were. So like it, we, we, we actually figured out how to do it. And, and I think that's a great thing because if you can make a record together as a band, you should be able to make a video together as a band as well. You, you're, you're a creative team and we proved that we could do that as well. So, I'm going to kind of skip the next question, I think, because it was in regards to social media. But um, let's talk about some of the changes in the music industry. But actually, before we do that, we should probably talk about some red flags that you might have observed in the industry. Specifically, do you have any red flags that newer musicians should watch out for in regards to like managers or any industry professionals that you want to go over? I mean, my my main advice, the thing that I look back with some regret in our career is that we really didn't watch our money very well and we trusted a lot of people to handle our money for us and that's a big mistake so my my advice to any band is when you achieve a certain level of success you are too busy to maintain all the income and you have to give that job to somebody to basically be like, hey, I need somebody to kind of be a financial manager because we're playing every day. We're in foreign countries. We've got money coming in from this and that labels, some some, you know, not only show money, but, you know, advances for merch or, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. And we we kind of trusted too much. And I can't say for sure how much money we lost, but it was a lot. And, uh, you know, it, it, and when you work with people who kind of see, see young pe young kids, okay, they're just skateboarding, beer drinking kids, they'll never notice $1,000 missing or $2,000 missing, you know? And then when you get it together as a band and say, hey, we don't feel like we're, you know, or we feel like there's something wrong, let me see all the records 
and then you can't get those access to your own bank records. We were in that position. And now, uh, you know, we, we basically caught our manager stealing red-handed. Like, we caught him. We had him on, on tape saying that he never received a large sum of money. And then the label confirmed that, yes, he did receive that large sum of money. So basically, we had to fire him on the spot. And we tried again with another manager. And then that manager didn't steal from us, but that manager didn't do anything for us and wasted years of time uh, thinking that th something was happening and it didn't. So, you know, my, my advice is, you know, be careful about who you trust with your band. When when you get a manager and, and you don't know what this manager's, you know, goals may be, and it could be just finding a... Uh, easy victim to rip off and we were that we were the we're just too nice and we were too trusting so now we haven't had a manager in more than 10 years because we decided you know as long as we have a great booking agent as long as we have a great tour manager so we can you know survive on the road we're we've been doing this long enough that we can make our business decisions and we can manage ourselves and when we got onto the label that we're on right now, uh, which is Metalville, they presented us, we told them we don't wanna get back into another situation like we were on a Roadrunner. We just wanna make a record and we don't wanna be locked in forever. Like Roadrunner, it was like a seven album deal. Whoa. And we had only, yeah, we had only made four records. So they still had us on for three more records, even though they didn't care about us or want us by contract. We, we had to stay and make more records and we weren't willing to. With Metalville, it was a one page contract that we showed to a lawyer and the lawyer's like, this is a good contract. Like you guys can walk away at any time. You guys can take all your music with you. You don't have to complete any contract, nothing. Like it's the most friendly to a band contract that, that our lawyer had seen. And that's what we wanted. So the opposite end of that is, hey, you don't have the kind of money you had during the Roadrunner days. You don't have you know, the ability to make a $100,000 video, uh, but at least you have the ability to walk away from anything that you're not happy with. And that freedom of knowing we can walk away is, is very uh, good for us. I mean, we... And we would recommend that when new bands sign, show your lawyer your contract. When we when we signed with Roadrunner in 93, our lawyer said, this is a horrible contract. But if you want us to be in a signed band, put your name on it. And we all just jumped and signed it. So it was a big mistake. But we were we were young and we were excited and we wanted to make music and our friends were bands were on roadrunner and it seemed like you know well they signed the same deal we can do it too and then of course years later every single band who signed that deal realized they were in a nightmare so uh it wasn't just us uh, but yeah so you know that's my other you know main advice is is definitely read your contracts and have a lawyer look at your contract and tell you what you really giving up or, or anything. I mean, you know, when we, when we started making merch, we were selling tons and tons of merch and making a ton of money. And then of course, Roadrunner is like, oh, you're making a lot of money. Well, by contract, we're supposed to be making a percentage of that. Well, you know, they never said that for the first two years until they realized they could be making more money off us. And then we had to give them a percentage of our, so that record deal also included merch. Yeah.
So you get you gave up merch. Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah, okay. A lot. Wow. Okay. Um, I know we're running out of time, but I do have uh one last question. I'll see if Aaliyah wants to do one too. Um with the Roadrunners, if you're allowed to stay, obviously, is because you signed with them, do they own the masters or something? Is that why some of the earlier material isn't on Spotify? Right. So Warner Brothers owns the masters and we okay. can't get those back. And they won't sell them back to us. We've tried. Uh, and it's been 20 years and we still can't get the Masters back. So Warner Brothers has now been licensing those old records and, and repressing them and selling them. So, you know, they're still making money off of us and we don't make one cent from any of it. Basically, any record prior to the last two, we don't make any money off of. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's the, that's the way it is. It is the way well, it is. Well, it, it's the way it is when you sign a bad deal. And, you know, that's why I, I recommend everybody, you know, check your, your contract. But a, a lot of labels are still functioning in the old way of basically taking a piece of everything that you, you do, uh, 360 deals. And, you know, if you want to sign with a label that is going to be fair to you you're going to have to realize that it's going to be a smaller label with smaller budgets and scaled down everything but you you have more freedom and we felt at this point in our career if music is great if people love it they don't care what label it's on they will find that music and they will buy it or they will download it or they will do whatever they have to do if they want it so it just takes a lot longer for those people to find out about you when you don't have the promotion machine that Roadrunner was able to do. So I actually have one more final question. Yeah, please. Uh, um, what are specific things you would suggest bands look for in a contract then, since you guys have had all these experiences and stuff, what are the specific things you think bands should be looking out for? Good and bad. Well, I wish that I had my contract in front of me so I could look at it again, but I don't. But I, I can say, you know, for sure, don't give your merch away. No record label should be taking your merch from you. So if you see merch in your contract, I would definitely bring that up and say, you know, that's the lifeblood of a band. And if the label starts taking your merch away from you, you're losing money and it just comes down to greed. As far as how many records they tie you to. When we signed with Roadrunner, it was seven records. That's ridiculous. Like, no band should dig a hole that deep. Um, so try to try to be realistic. The label that we're on now, it was a three-record deal with the option to walk away after one. So that's the kind of contract you want so that you could sleep well at night knowing, like, if we get into a nightmare scenario, if this label does nothing for us, if we, you know, end up you know, brushed aside, we, we want to be able to walk away and sign with a different label. And, and you need that freedom because these days, I mean, labels can, can come and go. Like, you know, you, you sign a deal with them and, and you want to be able to retain your masters. You want to retain your music. If you record for them, obviously, you know, they will retain the right to print your records and CDs and try to make their money and sell it. They, you might not be able to get out of that, but you can keep your masters and can be re-released in the future on a different label, or you can re-record your songs. As long as you don't give away your the rights to your songs, uh, make sure 
because we did. And our biggest songs like Who's the King and No Fronts and Rocky, they have millions of plays on Spotify and YouTube, and we don't make one cent from it. It's pretty sad. So watch your songs, watch your material, make sure that the label is not keeping that stuff. Uh, and that's why you need a lawyer, because they can be really sneaky with the language. And it's easy to be on 40 pages in. And by that page, you can't even focus your eyes anymore. And you miss that one paragraph where they they take something from you and, and you didn't know. So it's very important to to show it to a lawyer who knows what they're they're reading. And if and then renegotiate, you know, if you like the label and you really want to be in it, labels can renegotiate and they can take out clauses and and change things around if they really want the band. So don't don't just sign whatever they put in front of you. I do have one more. I'm really, really sorry, Dave. Um, no, I'm here. Okay, so if you hadn't gotten a similar a deal like you got with Metalville, like you said, do you think it would have been worth it for you guys just to remain unsigned and self-release, or do you think that would have been a waste of your time? Before we signed with Metalville, we did release a four-song EP that we paid for ourselves and we made ourselves and we we produced it and and paid for the cd replication everything and then right after that had come out we were selling it at shows and stuff and then metalville signed us and said okay we want to re-release the ep first and then we want you to get back in the studio and we'll you know pay for a record we would have never been able to afford to make the record on our own so i think that if metalville didn't kind of show up and and offer us a deal, we probably would not have made the new record. We would have made the EP and maybe we would have made another EP down the road because if you do three or four songs at a time, it's a little cheaper uh, studio time and and all that production cost and, and just the band's time together. Uh, so, you know, I'm not saying we never would have made new music, but definitely having Metalville step up was the catalyst to us saying, well, then we feel confident to make a full length album now with, with their support. Interesting. Um, I could probably keep asking more and more questions. Uh, do you have like another two minutes, Dave? Of course for you. Definitely. Cool. Just making sure. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. So now I'm assuming you guys have, okay. So just in the past, you were talking about um, you would just get a booking agent. You wouldn't have gotten a manager or anything like that, right? So right. can you kind of go over why that would be? Because I think that's a key point that might we might have like kind of glossed over a little bit, if you're willing. Well, in in your let's say your your business group, your booking agent is really your lifeblood because we really don't make any money making records. I mean, we're already in the hole just from the from making this record we we borrowed money from the label and that has to be paid back many people don't maybe realize that that bands actually have to pay their their advances back uh with a booking agent th this is your lifeblood because your booking agent is going to book your shows and create your income and we realized that's way more important than a manager because if a manager is your manager but he's not there picking up the phone and dialing every day and making things happen for you what happens is the manager ends up sitting by the phone just waiting for it to ring and that's where they end up and that's not good enough you need a proactive manager and the same with a booking agent if you want to have 
success, you need a booking agent who's actively constantly trying to get you shows and pushing for more money for you. And with that, you can, you can survive and that's, that's what you need. So I, I always would recommend for a band, find a really good booking agent because we realized that we could never do what we do if we had to book our own shows or, you know, have to go like a, a DIY way or, 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 or start calling other bands and being like, Hey, let's set up little tours. Like we're, we're just too old for that. And we just don't know. We don't, we're, we don't have the connections to do that. So the booking agent is, is a vital, absolute vital part of the band. And we've been with the same agent for over 10 years now. Um, but we have switched agents many times over the year. Like I said, you get to a point where the agent burns out, you're not getting as many, shows and is it because people don't want to see you or is it because our guy is just not working hard enough to make that happen and you know after 10 years it's hard for anybody at any job to have that same enthusiasm that they did when they started and as a band you have to watch out for that and you got to see it coming and figure out how to make sure that it doesn't hurt your career because if you put your career in someone else's hands who doesn't have their heart in the band the way that the members do, you, you, you're going to get burned. Um, right now, I'm not talking bad about my booking agent because he's doing really well. It's And uh, we're happy and we're constantly playing and we're playing big festivals and we're get it, we're, we have a 20 show tour coming up. Uh, I'm leaving next week. So, you know, things are going really well. We're, we're still going to hit that 50 show mark this year again. And to me, that's that's where we want to be. We don't want this to be a full time thing where it's all year round, but we want to have a nice, healthy uh, chunk of the year spent promoting and, and performing. Is this your full time gig, I'm assuming? No, no. not it, it, it. We purposely didn't want it to be full time gig. We so, you know, we've had jobs in the winter and then we'll tour all summer. Um, and that works out really well, having the income from the band and then having a separate income with insurance and stuff attached to it, you know, then, then it works out well. Um, we tried being a full-time band for 10 years and, and it worked out, but we knew that if we just kept playing and playing and playing all year round, eventually we're going to burn out and the audience is going to burn out. You, you can't overplay. And so we were in danger of overplaying. And we knew that. So we we kind of decided, all right, if we only play for six months out of the year, it, it, it's it's enough to make some good money, but it's not oversaturating and overplaying where you're going to end up playing in front of 15 people after a certain amount of time. And that worked for us. And actually, every year we're playing to crowded or packed or sold out uh, venues. Um, so our our strategy is working. Don't overplay. Very important. Fair enough. Um, I do have more, but I'm, I, I, I better shut up because we've, we've been going so long. Aliyah, do you have anything else that you want to ask before we wrap up? I think I, I don't really have a wrap up. This whole conversation has been super informative and so helpful. Thank you so much, Dave, for offering your wisdom and your insight. Thank you. Um, I really that. appreciate it. Um, everyone listening, make sure to check out Dog Eat Dog Free Radicals out on Metaville Records. It came out October 20th. And yeah, go jam it. And thank you again so much, Dave, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. I appreciate both of you. Very good questions, not the normal questions. So that's always fun. Thank you.
We try and keep it a little interesting up here. Yeah, very. Um, and everyone listening, thank you for listening. And until next time, make like a bull and throw those horns up. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word by following or subscribing to us, recommending it to your friends, or leaving us a review on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening to Heavy Business, brought to you by C-Squared Music. <laughs>